Good morning, Nansman River Baptist Church. How are y'all doing today? Good. It's good to see y'all. It's good to be here. It's, uh, it's been a long week, but uh, I'm, I'm excited to come with a word from the Lord uh, out, of, out of his Bible. Not that I'm uh, coming with anything new. Um, but yeah. Today, uh, we'll be... We'll be uh, reading out of Psalm 127. So if you have your Bible or an app on your phone, uh, you can pull up Psalm 127 today. And uh, I, I get the sense just from watching the news and looking at social media and, and from talking to y'all, just, just hanging around and, and getting, to, getting to be with the people of God, that, that we're kind of tired. I mean, it's been, it's been a long, it's been a long two years, right? We're, we're, we're tired, and it is so appropriate that, uh, that the, the Lord has allowed me to preach this psalm that Pastor Ryan had planned in, in, in his planning early in the year for me to preach this psalm on this Sunday uh, because I've, I've found, just as a word of testimony, that, that all week long God has been ministering to my soul as I've read uh, these words. And so together, let's stand out of reverence for the word of God. And we will read Psalm 127 in its entirety, which isn't terribly long. It's five verses, but uh, it, is, it is deep. So let's read together. A Song of Ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let's pray. Father, I pray along with Pastor Brian that you would open our hearts and our, our ears um, to, to hear your word, for your word to be implanted upon us. Lord, convict us of sin. Um, give us rest. Uh, encourage our, our weary souls this morning with your word, with your spirit, with the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And I pray that uh, I would be clear and, uh, and, and that we, your word would, um, would be fruitful this morning. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So this morning, we're reading out of Psalm 127. Psalm 127 is uh, in the, at, towards the end of the, of the book of Psalms. But if you look through the book of Psalms, you'll, you'll notice that the book of Psalms is really the books of Psalms. There are five books which make up the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. And, and Psalm 127 is, is squarely in the middle of book number five. Book five of the Psalms was compiled, scholars, scholars believe, was compiled after the exile, after the Jewish exile into Babylon and, and Persia. And when the people of God returned, uh, the, the, the songs of Israel, 
the songs of the Lord were compiled in, into books. And, song, and book five uh, has in, within it uh, yet another smaller section of psalms uh, that we call the, the songs of ascent. The songs of ascent. They're, they're, these are pilgrim songs. They, these were songs that were sung by the people of God on their travels to Mount Zion as they would ascend uh, the, the, the geography of Israel up to uh, Jerusalem. They would go to their, their travels to the temple uh, for, for special occasions in, wor- uh, in order to worship and sacrifice and praise the Lord together as the community of God's redeemed people. Some traditions hold that, that as, uh, as the people would approach the temple, they would, they would even uh, say one of the songs of ascent as they, as they took another step up, the, up to the sanctuary uh, at the actual temple location. These songs were, uh, were important. These songs were, uh, were sung repeatedly. Um, they were travel songs. It was like a mixtape, right? The, the songs of ascent, uh, a mixtape for the roadway to Jerusalem. When I was a kid, uh, my, my dad was Coast Guard, and so we, we were never where our family, our extended family were. And so when we would have to drive long distances to get to North Carolina, where, where my dad's parents lived, and Alabama, where my mom's uh, folks lived. And I can remember every time we would leave to go see my mom's parents in Alabama, as we were leaving our neighborhood, my mom would put on uh, that, that, that wonderful classic, Sweet Home Alabama. Amen. Amen right? We were jamming Leonard Skinner all the way to Alabama. It was tradition. It was, it's also, uh, it, was, it was also tradition to play it so much that my dad got tired of it before we actually left Florida. He was just, I mean, like as big of a Skinner fan as he was, he was like, that's enough. That's, we're done. Play something else. Now, now that my family, I have, I have my own family. We do our own travels. Amy, Amy will, will smile back there. She knows we, uh, we, we often play uh, Bob Denver's Country Roads as we, as we drive north to, to West Virginia to see her mom. We'll be, we'll be playing that in a couple of weeks uh, for Thanksgiving. I'm looking forward to it. Maybe you all have, have a, a family tradition of a, of a song that you sing on the way. That's what, that's what these songs of ascents were. And this psalm, um, Psalm 127, was written as one of those those travel songs. Psalm 127 was written by Solomon, by King Solomon. He was the heir to the throne of David. He was known for his wisdom, having written much of the book of Proverbs as well as the book of Ecclesiastes and the Song of Songs. But he's also remembered as, as being the one who built the temple in Jerusalem after the Lord denied his father, King David, uh, from, from building it in his lifetime. Solomon was the builder of the house of God. As king, he was keeper of the nation, the city of David. He was the son of David who, who had been promised a son on the throne over God's covenant people forever. This context will give us a little insight this morning as we look into uh, the psalm that he's written for the people's travels. These, these people, the people of Israel sang it year after year during their trips to Jerusalem. And that shows just the significance of, of the message of the psalm. 
think back. The Jewish people, after the exile, were, were a humbled people. They were joyful that God had returned them from, uh, from exile to the promised land, but they were a people who seemed to be perpetually striving for independence, perpetually striving for a right relationship with God. The Persians had remained in charge uh, in, in the land of Israel until Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire came and, and took over. And then after Greece's fall, the Roman Empire laid claim over the Near East. The Jews no longer enjoyed the prosperity of the early days of the Davidic kingdom or the kingdom under Solomon. They diligently sought to pass down to their children the, the traditions received from the Torah and the prophets and the writings and other religious rituals that came about um, over time. And moreover, they, they worked. They traded. They, they strove. They dealt with economic stress and drought and famine. They had families to feed and taxes to pay and all in an anxious, war-torn land. Year after year, they worked. Year after year, they, they paid to build uh, an, another empire. But year after year, they returned to the temple of the Lord God, singing, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. It's, it's kind of our story too. Since the fall of Adam in Genesis chapter 3, all of mankind has suffered the curse of painful, sometimes fruitless toil. Our work is hard. Thorns and thistles and a thousand other unknowns make our work seem in vain, fruitless. The anxiety and, and shame and exhaustion of building houses that crumble and or households that end up void of a fruitful heritage is, is painful. And families feel the dark cloud of vanity hovering over their heads and in this and in every generation. But in the midst of Psalm 127, as we'll see, there's a glimmer of hope in the Lord. We have a reason to sing. We're given Strength to trust in God even while we wrestle with toilsome work and existential angst and sad songs and thorns and thistles and difficult employees and or bosses. So let's look together at, at, at the word of God little by little, starting again in verses one and two. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city. The watchman stays awake in vain. <clears throat> the people were workers, right? They, they had to build their homes. They, they, they built, they watched, they worked in the land of Israel. And, and, and yet they know. They know the, the, the struggles of, of, of things falling apart, the, the, the sweat of their brow, um, causing them exhaustion and, and, and leading them to despair. Solomon, here in the psalm, he expresses this, this realization that, that our work doesn't matter if God isn't actively working to accomplish our ends. We believe in the sovereignty of God. God is 
behind and in and through all of our actions. Unless the Lord builds the house, the workers labor in vain. It, it is useless for us to try to, to, try to work a, uh, apart from the will of, of our Lord God. For us to try to, to, to do what we do aside from God's blessings. It, it will come to nothing. Paul expresses this when he's, he's talking to, uh, to Timothy, right? It, it, it's, um, Paul plants, right? Barnabas, Apollos waters, right? God gives the growth. Our, our work is in vain if the Lord isn't sovereignly and graciously working to accomplish its ends. And the flip side of that also is that we know that our work is meaningful because God is using us to do his work. There, there's beauty in this. It, it can sound almost like, like an angsty expression. If, if God doesn't do this, then, then it's pointless. But, but, but if you think about it, that's, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> that's wonderful, right? There's, there's so much freedom in knowing that our work matters because God will bless our work. He uses us to bring about his ends in a world over which he is sovereign. And so there's meaning there. There's, there's beauty to work. Work is good. It's something given to man before the fall. Adam and Eve were, were placed in the garden and called to, to work it and keep it and cultivate it. And they did before sin entered the world. Work is good. And work is meaningful. And God brings about his purposes in this world using the work of, of laborers and watchmen and parents. Solomon expresses again in, in, in verse two, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep, or he gives to his beloved sleep. Right, we, we see the, the angst here. There is, um, work is painful. If you're paying attention, we, we've been going through uh, Genesis in, in our small group uh, classes, in our small groups, and we've seen only recently the, the, the fall of man in context in Genesis chapter three. When, when Adam and Eve rebelled against the command of the Lord and ate of a fruit of the tree that had been forbidden to them, the, there, there came with that a curse, not just on Adam and Eve, but on, on all humanity, on, on all the earth. Cursed is the, the ground, uh, God says. Cursed is the ground because of you, because you ate of the, the, the fruit of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat. And part of that, that curse that falls on Adam is that now it's by the sweat of his brow that, that, he'll, that he'll eat his bread. Thorns and thistles will grow up from the earth. Things, things, are, things are difficult. Work is hard. Stuff doesn't work the way you mean for it to work. Painful, anxious work is a, is a result of the fall. But in the midst of that, we see the blessing of God, right? Because, because the Lord said, he doesn't say, cursed is the ground because of you, you will never eat of it again. He could have done that, right? But he said, no, by the sweat of your brow, you shall, you shall eat your bread. The Lord still shows his mercy in allowing us to, 
to eat the bread of anxious toil. We lament the difficulty, but we also rejoice in the mercy of God to feed us by his providential grace. It's frustrating work, but the Lord, it, it's honest work, right? The Lord feeds us. And the curse extends to, to, to the woman as well, right? In, in Genesis 3.16, we see that the, uh, her labor, her work will also increase in pain. It's an anxious, painful work for you men who've never seen it, for you women who've never experienced it. It is hard work to bring forth a, a child but it's, it's just as difficult for the, the, the next 18 years to, to rear a child, right? Childbearing and childrearing are, are laborious, toilsome, difficult tasks. But because the Lord is in them, because the Lord builds the house, we're not laboring in vain. One of my favorite parts of the Bible is right here where it says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go, go late to rest. The Lord is calling on us to chill out, right? He's calling on us to, to, to rest. He, he points out that, that, the, that his blessing, the way that he blesses people that he loves is, is by giving them sleep. That's, that's another beautiful design of God that, that comes once again before the fall. Mankind is limited. We're not, we're not made limitless and, power and, and so ultimately powerful that, that we can keep going on forever. A, a healthy sleep cycle, some, some studies will say seven and a half, seven and a half to eight hours. Uh, I, think, I think I've heard like over in Europe, they'll sleep for like 10 hours a day, right? There are 24 hours in a day and about a third of, of our time on earth is best used sleeping. One third of our time here, we're meant to sleep. It's part of our design. It's how we work. It's how we function. If, if you're running on three and four hours of sleep, like some of us in this room may be often doing, it's not, things start to break down. It's not good for you. And, and that is part of God's design. We're meant to rest. We're meant to remember that God provides for us. He builds the house. He watches the city. We do work and then, and then we rest and trust the Lord to do his work. God, God designed even in the, in the, the, the pattern of creation that six days we would work and on a seventh day we would rest. Now, now here at, at Nansman River Baptist Church, we're not, uh, we're not Sabbatarians. We don't hold people to, you know, like if we see you working on Sunday, we're going to put you before the elders and discipline you. That's, that's not, we believe that there's liberty and there's freedom in Christ, right? But we also believe that the Bible is pretty clear. Like we are meant to rest. We're meant to take a day off, and reflect on the, the resurrection of God, the creation of, uh, of, of his universe, and to, to worship him together as a body. The rest is, is a beautiful gift of God. And we, we, tend to, we tend to ignore that. Human works are, are merely painful labors and anxious toil when we attempt to create and conserve our own agendas and that it, when it's 
especially when it's independent of the will of, and the blessing of our God. Uh, one commentator I, I read this week talked about how it's, it's not that our projects will fail if we're not, if we're not, if the Lord's not in it, right? If the Lord's not blessing it, it's not just that our projects will fail. It's that even if there is success, right? Uh, the, 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 the road will lead to nowhere, right? What we've built will be in vain. There's bread to show for it, but, but it's in vain. It's kind of like saying the house and the city that gets watched, the houses that's built and the city that's watched may, may be built. They may survive for a little while, but were they worth building if it wasn't for the glory of God? So we rest. In, in pursuit of our projects, it's tempting to make our life all about work. We have, we have bills to pay. We got mouths to feed, retirement to save for, the Joneses to keep up with. And what starts out as godly diligence can implode into an unhealthy and ungodly pace of life that reveals us not to be faithful laborers, but anxious, idolatrous slaves to the world. The Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? We've got to work. We've got to work. We've got to do stuff. We've got to plant. We've got to feed. We've got to earn. We've got to watch. But we've got, we've got, to, we've got to remind ourselves that we can't live for our work. We can't live for the fruit of, of, our, of our work. Your life is about more than working hard to achieve your goals. And the deception of the world and the flesh and the devil is that if I just work harder, if I just work harder, I'll be more successful. Right? If I, if I, if I work harder, then I am being more faithful. And if I'm more faithful, then, then I'll be more successful in my pursuits. And, and, and that's a prosperity gospel that can't save us. It'll only beat us down, wear us out, and give us permanent bags under our eyes. Solomon tells us here that it's all in vain. Be diligent, right? In, in, in our work that, that God has given us as redeemed men and women, he tells us over and over again, Proverbs 13, 4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books in the Bible. The writer says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. That writer is Solomon the writer of this book. He says, do your work with all your might. And then in Psalm 127, he says, the Lord gives his beloved sleep. We need 
We need to be faithful. Laborers labor. Watchmen watch. But we got to do it in faith, trusting in the, the Lord to make our work of eternal consequence and benefit to, to our souls. Faith is expressed in God by sleeping and by resting. Remember your limits. Take hold of that blessing that God has given to you. He's provided for you. If you don't, you'll break down and your work will be in vain. Solomon moves on in, in verses three through five. Let's, let's get, keep going here. In verse three, we're reminded, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord and the fruit of the womb a reward. I, I thought Pastor Ryan was, uh, was, was making fun of me when he gave me this psalm to, to preach because we just had our fourth baby <laughs> and, and I am in over my head. With love, I, I, I love you guys, but I, I am, it's, it's funny, we either get the blessing of sleep or we get the blessing of children, but God doesn't tend to give you both, right? Like, I mean, amen. But, but what we read here, once again, is that, is, that, is that bearing children is hard, it's painful work in a sinful and fallen world. We have to keep them alive long enough to teach them how to keep themselves alive. We have to keep them alive when they exasperate us. And when they disrespect us. When they rebel against us. We build them up. We teach them and discipline them in the ways of personal responsibility and personal faith. That's our task teach them the knowledge of the Lord our God. And we, we build them up and we keep them and we feed them and it's by the sweat of our brows and through many, many, many tear-filled nights. But the Spirit reminds us that here that our kids are a divine inheritance. They are, they are a reward from God. When Jacob blesses his son Joseph, he recognizes that the fruit of the womb is a form of, of help from God. In Genesis, 20, uh, Genesis 49, 25, um, Jacob is blessing Joseph. He says, by, by the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessing, uh, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. He's talking about childbearing, children. You're, ble you're blessed because God's going to give you a ton of kids. Throughout the book of Deuteronomy, Moses declares God's promise to make the people f uh, fruitful and to multiply them in the land that he's giving them. He's giving to Israel. God, God makes our labor fruitful. He builds our house. He watches our little city. And unless he does, we, we parent in vain. Solomon ends with, a, with a, an illustration, which I, 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 I find brilliant. Solomon, in verses four and five, he says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Children of one's youth are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. 
I've never been in the military. I'm not much of a warrior. But I, I, I read a lot. And, and what, I've, what I've noticed in talking to some of you military guys and reading some of these books, I've learned that the, the instruments of war have changed a lot over time. Now, that's an, I know that's an understatement. But most of the principles of war have not. They haven't changed much. It didn't take long for men of war to figure out that it is better to engage one's enemies when they're farther away than it is to, uh, to, to engage in hand-to-hand combat. When the lines meet and the swords are drawn and spears are, are, are used and bayonets are engaged, a victorious mission is still possible but it's far more costly. Am, am I right? Am I, am I interpreting that right, military guys? Bows and firearms and, and nuclear submarines sending projectiles from afar enhance your chances of getting the job done. In Solomon's day, when a warrior had arrows, he had a far easier job at guarding his city or engaging the, the, his enemies in the gate than when he didn't. So children, the Bible tells us, are like that. Try, try not to laugh when I, as I say this, this next part, right? But apparently, having a lot of kids will help you to accomplish your God-given task more effectively in this world. This may be difficult to believe, right? Oftentimes our kids are the antithesis of productivity, and they draw us away from doing things that we want or need to do. But the wisdom of God is often revealed, not in the short term, but, but in the long game. And the psalm tells us here that the, the kids in our quiver are, are assets to our mission. But they often start out as liabilities, don't they? Children start off as terrible arrows. They're wiggly, right? They're flexible. They're, and I mean this with love, they're kind of dull. You gotta sharpen them. You gotta straighten them out. You gotta, you gotta help them find a direction in life. And that's just, that's just them, right? Then we've got to figure out how to, how to shoot them in the direction they're supposed to go, to send them flying where they were meant to go. There's technique and bows are hard and I think it's a really beautiful, really beautiful illustration here. We teach them, we, we train them, we sharpen them, we, we practice, and then we gotta round them up and stick them back in the quiver. We gotta find them and figure them out and, and make best use of them. And then we teach them and test them and discipline them. We slowly give our kids more and more responsibility, and then we start all over again. It's hard work. And a lot of you parents are tired. At, at Nansman River Baptist Church, one of our core beliefs states that we believe that children are a blessing from the Lord and should be taught the word of God in the home by example and instruction. This Friday, we're hosting an honor parenting conference be, because of this conviction. Nothing can make an otherwise competent man or woman feel completely in over one's head like parenting. Am I right? 
So in our hopes of advancing our mission to make disciples of making dis- and who make disciples in the home, we're bringing in experts in the, in the field of parental discipleship to help us think through some, of, some principles and strategies to instill a pattern of honor in our homes that we and our children would learn why and what it means to honor our father and mother as is commanded in the word of God. And, and hopefully, as parents, to, to be honorable. So sign up. Let, let us know you're coming. If you have children in the house, we need to know that we've got enough child care for you. So tomorrow's, tomorrow's the last day to sign up. Side note. And so Solomon here tells us, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Kids, like arrows, need to be straightened and sharpened and sent flying in the right direction. Parents, like warrior archers, need to grow in our form and our technique and our vision as we prepare our arrows to be sent far away to carry out their purpose. This isn't about forming our children to be militant fundamentalists, but it's about preparing the recipients and the carriers of the grace of God. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, as as the Apostle Paul reminds us. Our purpose is to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever as his redeemed people through Christ. While on earth, we carry the mission of the church as handed down from Christ Jesus to his apostles to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I, that is Christ, have commanded you. This starts at church, excuse me, starts at home. Starts at home. It's cultivated and complemented by the church. And it makes its way into all the targets of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is his house that he's building. It's his city that he watches. Our children are his children. He's entrusted to us. It's his people that he feeds. It's his beloved that he gives sleep. And we faithfully and diligently do the work of obedience and we trust in God to send our arrows to their destination. And they will not be ashamed. They will not be ashamed. Parenting is hard. But Solomon, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us that the parents of many kids are blessed. They're made truly happy by a quiver full of arrows. The labor is difficult. But with the, with the Lord, our labor will not be in vain. God blesses his beloved laborers with rest, with sleep. He blesses parents with children He is good. The author of Ecclesiastes begins his work by lamenting, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? That's Ecclesiastes 1. By the end of the book, he he concedes that the purpose of life, that the thing we must pursue if life is to have any real fruitful meaning has to be found not in this world, not in the work of our hands, not in, not in what we gain, not in what we, 
what pleases us here in the, in the flesh. But what he finds and what he, what he writes about, what he ends his, his treatise on is this. In Ecclesiastes 12, he says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, those who build it labor in vain. So what? So we labor in faith. We labor in faith and hope and love for God's glory. We rest in faith and hope and love, God's gift. And we fill up our quivers with children, training in the, in the work and the mission of the gospel. Ray Ortland, a pastor, and now he's a retired pastor from, uh, from Nashville, he wrote this uh, in a commentary on, on, this, on this psalm. He says, as we labor to build and watch to protect and toil to eat and bring forth children for blessing, our ultimate and perpetual dependence must be on the God who alone can make these efforts succeed and bear fruit for eternity. The curse of Adam at the fall led to painful toil in this world, but the promise to Eve of an offspring to crush the serpent's head was fulfilled in the birth of God's son, Jesus Christ, who built the house of God, who watches over the kingdom of God, and who by the, the painful toil of dying on the cross for sinners, which, which now would bow to him in faith, he is given rest in him now and in eternity to come. He gives, his, he gives sleep to his beloved, where moth and rust do not destroy, and no thief breaks in and steals. God has faced his great enemy and ours, sin, Satan, death, and he was not put to shame. But dying on the cross and rising from the dead, our Lord is victorious and thereby we are saved. Our work is not in vain. God has given us valuable work to be done in our jobs, in our households, in our world. Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you weary this morning, O oh workers? Are you weary, parents? Do you need rest for your tired soul? I know I do. We're all tired. You told me at the beginning of this sermon. We're tired by our workloads. We're tired by the pursuit of our expectations. Maybe our own expectations or maybe somebody else's. We're tired of the pandemic. I'm tired of hearing about the pandemic. I'm tired of referring to the pandemic in sermon illustrations. We're tired of politics. We're tired of thorns and thistles. We're tired of carrying the weight of our own sin around. The burdens of past mistakes or present addictions or ongoing patterns of self-defeat and rebellion against God. Are you tired of running from God? Are you tired of running this morning? Then stop. Stop running. Turn to him 
and take him at his word. He invites you, O weary sinner, to come to him and rest. So go to him in faith this morning and find your rest. We'll sing the pilgrim song together with hope. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He gives sleep to his beloved and he fills the quiver with his arrows. And he makes our labor fruitful in his time. Let's pray. Oh God, we praise you for your rest. Oh God, give us sleep and bless our, our works. Help us, God, to, to learn a, a pattern of faith in our, in our duties and, and in our, our, our need to, to stop and trust in you to, to carry out the works that need to be done. We pray for our kids. We pray for our children that you would help us and help us to help each other as we, as we fill our quivers with arrows, as we sharpen the arrowheads, as we straighten the shafts, as we send them out for your glory to do the work that they were created by you to do in honoring you in their lives and in, in bringing the good news of Christ to, to their neighbors. And Lord, encourage our souls. Give us rest. And, and, and give us life in the gospel. It's in the, in the name of Christ our Savior, I, we pray. Amen.